the pursuits of life, the storing up of life. From, from a, young, a, a young time in your life, you know, you have parents saying, you know, put that money back, keep that nest egg. You know what, you want, you want to be able to buy that first house? You want to be able to pay for that car? And these are all good things. But the tendency is sometimes to so allow ourselves to be caught up with the things of life that we neglect the things that we've signed on for forever. Our homes, our relationships, our commitment to one another. You ask the man who's called the workaholic, who finds himself in a divorce court where his wife is taking him for every dime he has. And you ask him, was it worth all the work you did to end up where you are? You ask the individual who's focused so much on the things of life that they've allowed the shine of their marriage to become so tarnished by the world that is around them to the point that they lose the very thing that they thought they were investing in by going out for pursuits in the world. And then you ask them, was it really worth all that you did? And so often the case is, no. And yet the divorce court is continuing to grow day by day. People have less and less respect for the home and the concept of the home. Well, there is an idea involved in seeking light in a marriage and light in a relationship. And tonight, even if you're not married, if, if, you're, if your mate has passed on, light that still can be in your home from wonderful memories and wonderful times and commitment to hopefully going and being with them again someday in the presence of God causes us at no matter what point in our lives to keep focusing on good things, the light. John said if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from our sins. 1 John 1 and verse 7. Folks, let's not underestimate the value of striving to walk in the light in a marriage relationship. There's going to be blessings as a result. But then, in the last place, Jesus also talks about how that a house, building a house can also build a home by showing mercy. When we show mercy... And when mercy is prevailing in a household, then certainly a house is going to be strong. In chapter 7, beginning in about verse 7, he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. He says, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to you and to those who ask Him? And therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, He says, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Jesus believes in the potential of men. And in this passage, what He tries to do is to try to get people to realize just how much God loves them. He wants them to know that, he ha- that they have a Father in heaven who really wants to provide for them. And He really wants to take care of them. He devotes a lot of the end of chapter 6 just focus on, on that very thing. But certainly there's a lot of things that also that He uses as illustrative to talk about God's providence as being a challenge to us who are parents. If a father has a son who asks for a basic need of life, like a fish, something to eat. How are you going to be? How are you going to respond? We were talking a little bit tonight at supper about the great way of change that has taken place and the way people raised their children today. We're living in the Spockian generation the time when no one seems to care anything about corporal punishment at all, the idea of sparing the rod seems to be capital in the mind of the great thinkers of how to raise children today. Certainly all my life, growing up, my father didn't spare the rod (laughs) And uh, you know from a sermon Sunday morning, my mama didn't spare the rod either. Because we talked a little bit about that. But we're living in a day and a time when discipline is not considered important at all. In fact, the whole concept of discipline seems to be more about giving in and allowing a child to be whatever he wants to be any way he wants to be. While certainly we want our children to have great potential in life, in reality we also want for them to make good choices in life. And sometimes when they make bad choices, who, if not a parent, would not come along and say, no, we can't go that direction. We've got to go a different way. I'm mindful of Joshua of old as he called Israel together before he died and he said, choose you this day. Make a choice for how you're going to be. And you back it up. We in this day and time need fathers and we need mothers who will make choices for their families for ways that are going to be pleasing to God making good choices that are going to help their children to grow up. Well, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, in the admonition of the Lord, in the way that the Lord prescribes. I don't know about you, but I want my child, I want my grandchildren to grow up and build a house that's going to withstand the storms of life. 
And the only way they're going to be able to do it is if they make good choices directed by this marvelous book. Now tonight, perhaps most of us really do appreciate the idea of an old-fashioned, should I say the word whipping, spanking, discipline, in love, not abuse, but one where a child is taken to the side and he's encouraged and educated in the direction that he's supposed to go. There's a lot of discussion about abuse today, and I'll be the first to say I don't like the idea of the kind of abuse that I see sometimes. I was just watching TV just this morning, and they were showing how somebody had videoed, in this day and time, boy, they video everything. Somebody had videoed a, a father who was at a skateboard park with his son, and some of you may have seen this, but I mean, that thing was like 18, 20 feet up, and he was trying to get his son to go down on the skateboard, and then the little boy, he was scared to death. And the dad just got up there behind and kicked him, and the little boy just fell down. I think that's what Jesus meant when he inspired the Apostle Paul to say, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. In Ephesians 6. We need patient fathers, but we need faithful fathers who are committed to the truth of God's Word, who are committed so much to their children that they see day in and day out that they have an obligation. Mothers have an obligation. We have, we have such a call and demand to provide for our family. Our mortgages are out the roof, so everybody has to work and children become latchkey kids, and they don't have the ability on their own to make good choices. And it feeds into adulthood. A lot of times those children are misdirected in the good choices that they have before them in life because mom and dad saw that there was just too much out there that we thought we had to provide for them. There is a sense in which we've got to look at the greater perspective of things. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like it in retrospect that I would rather bring my children up to live in a box and see them go to heaven is to raise them up in a mansion and see them go to hell. The thing about it is, I don't want you and I don't want us, I don't want our children or our grandchildren, I don't want it to be that we have to think retrospectively what could have been had we made better choices back then. We've got to make good choices now. We've got to show mercy now. And showing mercy sometimes means being a disciplinarian but being one who shows love and provides in the way that God has given us the sense and the ability to choose, make good choices, to do what's right. Our most precious commodity outside salvation itself is our home. And it is what you make out of it. 
It is what you choose to make out of it. Because as we looked at in the first part of this lesson, the storms are coming. They're going to happen. The big question is, are we prepared? Are we prepared in our lives? Are we prepared in our marriages? Are we prepared as parents? It's not always going to be easy in life, but I'm committed with all my heart that if we follow this book, we can't go wrong. Tonight, the lesson is yours. And I want to suggest to you as we make a transition and think about the invitation of our Lord. I don't know where you are in your life and in your walk. I don't know if you're faithful to God or you're not, whether you're a Christian or not. And so I want to generally just say to you tonight that you have a Lord who loves you so much. And He wants nothing but the very best for you. So much to the point that He paid the ultimate sacrifice for you in giving His own life. Can I admonish you and encourage you, if you've never obeyed the gospel, that you would come as we sing this song, repenting of your sins. Make a determination to live a different life. Confess the name of Jesus before witnesses. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It will be the greatest decision you've ever made. And then live faithfully to the Lord. Put your trust and your confidence in Him. Day by day, He has promised He'll help you all the way to the end. Tonight, if you've obeyed the gospel in the past, but yet your heart has been away from God, maybe your struggle in your home, your struggle in your life, your work, whatever your struggle may be, this is a family here, Christian family here, who really cares for you. And they would love to pray for you, to hold you in their arms, to hug you and to let you know you're special and you're important to Christ, to His kingdom, to the family that is here at White Oak. If you're subject to the invitation in any way, we bid you come while together we rise and as we sing. There's a great day coming, a great day coming, there's a